Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents Archivos Brainstorms, episode 114. Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Marie Villadeau. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to Archivos Brainstorms. Yes. On Archivos Brainstorms, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and <laughs> our esteemed guest host. And then we dive in, exploring every secret and code of the story, put it under a harsh spotlight and questioning it endlessly, <laughs> hoping to torture the raw idea into a shiny, glimmering, law-abiding citizen of the world, or a literary gold. <laughs> literary gold. <laughs> I can hear our guest writer going, wait, what? <laughs> What's going on here? Hold, hold, hold on, torture? No, we ain't doing that. <laughs> Some t- it's, it's tough love, kids. It's tough love. <laughs> uh, Marie Billado, my co-host on the Archivos Podcast Network. Always a delight to, to be back in the studio with you, ma'am. How are you doing today? I am doing absolutely awesome. I am pumped for this brainstorm. I loved the last one. I think this one's going to be also awesome, and I'm just excited. How are you? I, I know, right? And it is. It's it's that burgeoning, ooh, awesomeness is afoot. Awesomeness is is in the wings. Let's let's go do the awesomeness. I am completely with you. Uh, and this awesome is brought to you by Archivos, the story development and presentation software package for today's storytellers. Storyteller subscriptions are available even as we speak, you can be working in the Archivos framework right now. Go to archivos.digital, that's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital, and get your storyteller subscription today and be making awesomeness tonight. Yes, that's a plan. <laughs> I like that plan. Well, and as long as we're talking about awesomeness, let us let us perpetuate the awesome cycle as it is and bring our guest host back into, the, into this big comfy chair we have prepared for her. Dear friends, fresh from an awesome Archivos Insights of just seven days ago, please welcome back to the big chair at the Archivos Podcast Network, Cerise Rennie Murphy. Cerise, thank you so much. We, we had a great conversation last week. This week, I am seriously pumped and excited about brainstorming a story with you, ma'am. Thank you so much for making the time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be back. Uh, and, and brainstorming. I've ever since that conversation so very long ago, it's like we got to brainstorm a story with Cerise. This has got to happen. So this, this is like wish fulfillment happening. Before we get to that, I got to ask Cerise, you've done so much. You've explored so many storytelling frameworks uh, uh, and, and worked in the world in so many different ways. I'm, I'm deeply interested to ask the following question. What is coming up in the world of Cerise Rennie Murphy? Oh, well, thank you for asking. I've got two things coming up. The first thing is, well, I'm working on my first epic fantasy. It's called The Wolf Queen, and it's about a young woman who discovers that she is a part of this incredible legacy of goddess women and, well, obviously goddesses, and and <laughs> uh, she has to reclaim that legacy in order to fight for the land that she loves and overthrow a very bad and evil ruler. So that's what I'm working on right now. In terms of projects and sort of events, I am going to be doing New York Comic Con uh, in October, October 5th through the 8th. And this year, um, I am going with my new project, Narazu. We are featuring five independent artists, comic book creators, authors, and it's going to be amazing. We're going to be featuring independent artists. We're going to be streaming independent film. We have a panel at New York Comic Con on Marketing 101 and how to find your audience for indie artists, and we're just really excited to be there. So we're booth 2157 if you're uh, going to be at the event. That's awesome. And New York Comic Con, really, I mean, that was your first con, right? was it was back in 2012 it's like and 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 it's like returning to the native uh uh, you always come back to to that first con and 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 you've been there pretty much every year since right i have it's such a great experience last year was 180,000 people wow (laughs) wow (laughs) but um they're all sci-fi fans. Like they're all my people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they're weird and awesome, and that's celebrated. So yeah, absolutely. 
Very cool. Well, and you had me at Wolf Queen. That's a great title. I can only imagine the the cover that that is going to engender. Uh, I will make sure all of that gets put into the liner notes so people can stay tuned to that awesomeness. Uh, Marie, what about you, ma'am? Do you have any uh, new fabulosity unfolding in your world? I do. Well, first of all, I'm super excited, Cerise, because I'm going to be at New York Comic Con, too. (laughs) We can meet in person. This is going to be great. (laughs) I will come see you at your booth. I promise that. I cannot wait. Also, and I've mentioned it before, but CanCon October 13th to the 15th, it's going to be uh, in Ottawa. It is an awesome con. Check it out. Please come. Uh, it's my home con. I am the co-chair because I love it absolutely. So uh, everybody should come always. <laughs> and in October, um, I have the Nye was uh, my self-published fun experiment that I did in five uh, I serialize in five parts right. and it's fairy apocalypse end of the world what happens when the veil between our world and the world of the old fairies collapses oh dear. it doesn't go well for us <laughs> <laughs> spoilers <laughs> so it, it, it borders on horror uh, horror fantasy type of uh, book post apocalyptic or apocalyptic in this case and the omnibus edition will be coming out Ooh. so that is a one-stop shop for all of them in uh, ebook format. So keep an eye out on my website, Twitter feed, Facebook. I will be shouting it from the rooftops as soon as it hits the retailers. Outstanding. And friends, if, you, if you've ever clicked a link or visited the posts, you know that uh, uh, all the social feeds for Marie, for our guest host and our imminent guest writer uh, uh, will all be listed up there. So if you're going, gee, I, I need to hear about this Nye Omnibus. That sounds awesome. Come check out the post on the Archivos Podcast Network site, and you'll be able to find links to all of that stuff for Marie and for Cerise. Uh, so awesome. Very cool. That's fabulous. Um, friends, here's what I'd like to do right now. I'd like to just take a, a brief pause uh, uh, and give a bit of podcast airtime to Archivos, uh, our sponsor for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms. Uh, but when we come back, Cerise, Marie, I would love to brainstorm a story with you both. What do you say? Yeah. Ah, All right. (laughs) We're going to make that happen. It's going to be a thing. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. Introducing Archivos, a new story development tool that allows writers and gamers to document the story elements of their settings, map the relationships between those elements, and then display those connections through three unique interfaces. One of those interfaces is the timeline. Every event documented by the storyteller is displayed in chronological order on a scrollable timeline. Details for each event are available with the click of a mouse, including a summary of the event, the location, and the characters who were involved. Plus, like all of Archivos' display modes, the timeline is searchable and filterable, so you can explore the aspects of your story world that captures your imagination. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos. Your stories illuminated. Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the business at hand, the reason why we're here, certainly, and I'm betting the reason why you're here, too, and that is the story brainstorm. And that doesn't happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly to the writer's chair to throw down a tale of epic proportions for us to brainstorm. And dear friends... Our guest writer for this episode is a man of many talents. He was a psychology professor in the Game Development and Media Studies program at the Algonquin College of Applied Arts and Technology, and he currently shapes the minds of Ottawa's youth as a teacher of history and social studies. And when he's not being an epic badass in the academic arena, he's being a literary badass. Published by Pulp Literature, on spec, the 2017 Young Explorer's Adventures Guide, and Sun Vault, stories of solar punk and eco-speculation, which just sounds fabulous. He has received an honorable mention in the 2016 Writer's Digest Popular Fiction Awards. He reviews fiction for Blackgate.com, and he develops 
programming for CanCon, one of Canada's premier fantasy and sci-fi conventions. Dear friends, please welcome to the slightly less comfortable writer's chair here in the Archivos <laughs> Podcast Network, Brandon Crilly. Brandon, my friend, it is such a delight. We, we've circled each other in various orbits uh, uh, in the past year. I'm delighted to have you on the show. And, and dude, hats off for the cojones to step up and offer a story for brainstorming. I know it's never easy, man. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here, although the writer's chair is ever so slightly lumpy, and I don't know why. <laughs> it's because we took out all of the stuffing. The cushions are, are just fabric. There's there's nothing there. We want to keep you on your toes. We want to keep you leaning forward and and, and engaged. We don't That's want fair. you too comfortable. No writer should be too comfortable, really, when you get right down to it. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Brandon, let's dive into this. I'm, I'm keen to hear your story pitch. Uh, you know how this works. We give you five to eight minutes. Give us the title, the genre, your target audience. Give us a tagline uh, for the story. Introduce us to the world and the characters. Give us the tent poles of the story you're envisioning, and we will brainstorm the heck out of that bad boy. I'm going to get out of the way. I've got my pad and paper before me. Brandon, the mic is all yours, brother. Wicked, thank you very much. Uh, so my story is a high fantasy novel tentatively titled Three Coins of Silver uh, with adult readers as the uh, target audience. My tagline is The X-Files meets Joe Abercrombie, a magician who doesn't believe in real magic, a priest who doesn't believe in the gods, and a soldier who doesn't believe in war work together to track down a cursed set of coins before their power is unleashed. Um, I don't have a theme at present, uh, since I tend not to work with one this early in my process, but that might be something that we can figure out in our brainstorming. In terms of the world, Three Coins of Silver is set in Ailda, a continent divided into several city-states, but mostly takes place in the northern city of Overlook. Religion in Ailda centers on a deity named Amundul, who is divided into six core aspects uh, that are constantly debated by scholars. For example, the catalyst aspect is described as the essence of all things, which different orders interpret as meaning life or death or something else entirely. Some orders have gained more legitimacy after constructing runes based on the aspects that successfully caused some sort of limited magical effect. Five years ago, uh, the Western War erupted after the hidden, an aspect often described as logic and the natural order, unleashed powerful creatures called spawn as a test against humanity. Uh, though Aelda's city-states combined forces to defeat these spawn, people remain fearful of the hidden, challenging humanity again. My main protagonist for this novel is Maverin Lead, a street magician considering retirement after three decades of touring and seeing his crowds diminish due to anxiety around the arcane. Uh, he's witty and sarcastic, and though he's a bit of a coward, he'll push himself to correct a wrong that he's made. Most importantly, he doesn't believe in real magic, assuming that the stories from the Western War are exaggeration and that devout worshippers of Amundul are idiots or charlatans. What he doesn't know is that he possesses a set of three coins inhabited by an inactive spawn. Uh, he begins the story ignorant of magic and haunted by abandoning his fiancée decades earlier and spends the novel learning how wrong he is about both. So Mavern has two primary allies in this. The first is Ayasu, a, a priest who fought in the Western War in the name of the Catalyst, uh, another aspect, though an interpretation that no one else believes in. Uh, he's convinced that his interpretation is correct because his battlefield magic works, and since the war he's been on a personal mission to track down any surviving spawn, occasionally checking on Maverin because he sensed a darkness in the magician the first time they met. He undergoes a crisis of faith in the novel as he realizes that his worship is misplaced and that he's actually a pawn in a larger game. Their other ally is Diary Ren, uh, the recently retired guard commander of Overlook. Uh, she still feels like a protector of her city and makes a point of staying informed and, if necessary, making a nuisance of herself when she disagrees with city policy. <laughs> she once engaged. She was once engaged to Maverin, and despite leaving him, she's held onto the set of coins he gave her as a memory of the time they had, uh, not realizing that they also contain a spawn that could threaten the city she loves. Uh, she despises war because it risks other people's lives. Uh, but realizes over time uh, that sometimes risking your own life and others' lives is a necessary evil. Uh, their main antagonist is Lord Waldron Breck, a hero of the Western War who is now City Lord of Overlook. Uh, he's widely respected for his no BS attitude and way of getting things done, 
but has fallen under the sway of a powerful spawn called the Butcher, which is trapped beneath beneath Overlook and wants Brex help getting free to resume the hidden test against humanity. Uh, Brex's accomplice is a woman named Kadara, the local representative of Amandul in Overlook, uh, who is secretly a worshipper of the hidden as well. So the story itself. The novel opens with Maverin Lead performing in a small town, uh, during which he gives away one of his lucky silver coins to a young girl in the audience. Uh, when he retires to his room at the local inn, he finds the other two coins in the set hovering in the air. Uh, by chance, Ayasu has chosen that night to check in on him, and upon investigating, discovers that the floating coins are tied to a spawn which has now been set free. A reluctant Maverin accompanies Ayasu to recover the coin he gave away. Uh, they find that the spawn has inhabited the young girl's guardian and have to work together to subdue her. Though the spawn is returned to the set of coins, the guardian dies. Shaken by the experience, Maverin tries to get away from Ayasu, remembering the matching set of coins that he gave to Diary long ago, uh, but Ayasu insists on going to Overlook together. In Overlook, Diary is butting heads with Lord Breck, who has begun collecting every piece of silver in the city, but refuses to explain why. Uh, while she tries to learn more, Maverin and Ayasu journey to Overlook, during which Maverin tries to learn more about the aspects and the nature of magic only to decide that Ayasu's abilities having, having nothing to do with any god is just as likely as having the Catalyst's blessing. While Ayasu finds and consults with Kadara, uh, Maverin musters his courage and tracks down Diary, believing that it's up to him to protect her. In the middle of their argument, as Diary balks at his reappearance and apparent concern for her, the city, or city guard arrives to collect her silver, and in the ensuing confrontation, the spawn in her set of coins is released. Maverin and Diary get away, and she insists on going to Lord Breck. Uh, they collect Ayasu and warn Breck about the release of the spawn. Breck lies to them that he ordered the collection of silver to forge weapons against potential spawn, having learned that there might be a threat from the hidden in Overlook, and asks Ayasu and a team of guards to capture uh, the escaped spawn alive so it can be questioned. Diary insists on accompanying them, fearing what will happen if war comes to her city, and Maverin reluctantly goes along, determined to prove himself to her and make up for the past. They track down the spawn, uh, but Ayasu's magic suddenly has no effect in battle, and they have to trap the spawn in order to escape. As Ayasu begins to doubt his faith, their group journeys with Kadara to an ancient structure outside Overlook, which may contain information about the spawn's weaknesses. Exploring the ruin, Kadara reveals to Ayasu that his magic didn't work because it actually comes from the Hidden, which logically needed humanity to have magic so that the Western War was a fair fight, uh, but has now changed the game. Kadara's worship of the Hidden is revealed as she releases the other spawns so it can join its brethren in Overlook. Maverin, Ayasu, and Diary race back to Overlook, and when they go to Breck, they discover that he is serving the Butcher. Uh, in the ensuing fight, Maverin uses his trickery and sleight of hand to help Ayasu and Diary, standing with them not to prove himself, but because it's the right thing to do. Uh, Diary faces Breck and is forced to kill a hero of her city to save it from a new Western war. Meanwhile, Ayasu clings to his belief that the Catalyst will help him, but in the end, the aspect is nowhere to be seen, and he must use the Hidden's own logic to defeat the spawn. In the aftermath of having saved Overlook, Maverin realizes that wanting to protect Diary and make amends for the past was foolish, since she's far stronger without him, but she counters that they were only successful by working together. Having seen true magic for himself, Maverin begins to rethink the nature of the world, while Ayasu rethinks his faith, and Diary rethinks the necessity of battle. And that is three coins of silver. Boom. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. God, there's a lot going on there. There, 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 there are going to be questions. There, there are going to be questions, Brandon, I promise you. Okay. Uh, okay. But before we dive into that, uh, let us know, Brandon, what are you hoping to get out of the next half hour or so of brainstorming awesomeness? Mainly, uh, if there's too much going on in there, if there's anything in there um, in terms of the details that I have that don't make sense, and uh, especially any uh, world building that needs to be added, because at the moment I'm uh, pantsing this, I'm sort of discovery writing it, so there's still more details to add, so um, anything that can roll in there would be awesome. That I think we can help with that and more, Perfect. so do awesome. let's. Let's dive into that, but before we do, Marie, help us out. We need to be disclaimed. Yes, definitely. Brandon, yeah. you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important that you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Cerise might be complete hornswaggle, which is our new favorite word. <laughs> <laughs> this is your story, my friend, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Except hornswaggle. It's, it's hornswaggle. Come on now. Words, dude. <laughs> Look it up. Google that stuff. Come on now. Yeah. Gee. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, in spite of in spite of a bit of nomenclature issue, uh, it, it sounds like I think we've been disclaimed. So, so let's dive into this. Uh, it's a tough crowd, Brandon. It's a tough crowd. Tough crowd. It's all good. <laughs> well, let, let's start with a quick once around the table. Let, let's just uh, uh, share our initial thoughts about the pitch and ask any questions of clarification we might have. And we always lead off with our guest host for the episode. So, Cerise, please kick us off. Give us your first impressions of, of Brandon's pitch. And what questions of clarification do you have? Well, first of all, wow. Brandon. <laughs> yeah. There's is that a, a good list. wow or a bad wow? <laughs> That is a good wow. I mean, I think the world building is just amazing. And I know you just gave us a quick outline. And the fact that you are pantsing this, you're braver than I ever would be. <laughs> that is, that's awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Cool. Go you. There are a lot of points of clarification for me. But I think the big one that I want to start with is what, and I think it's Sir Maverin. What does he want? I mean, what is, if you not to superimpose the hero's journey because we don't mm. need to do that. But if you if you give this idea that throughout the story there is one thing that he wants, and I'm not clear. I get that he's struggling, right. sort of with, with different belief systems, and I actually really love that because I think questioning is such an important part of our existence and the proving of our existence. And I don't know if that's a theme or not, but that's one that's seems to be common of every single character you have is questioning their understanding of reality. So the question is within all that questioning, what does he want? And I, I don't know. Um, that is going to then inform sort of the other, my reaction to the other things. Do you have okay. any thoughts on that, Brandon? I, I do. Yeah. Maverin, his, his primary motivation, at least in my mind, um, is to make amends for uh, mistakes of the past. Like he's getting near the end of his career and possibly the end of his life. And so he, he's always wanted to make amends with, with Diary, the, the guard commander in mm-hmm. Overlook. And the realization that he might have put her in like serious jeopardy kind of brings all that back to the, the forefront of, you know, he made a mistake and he needs to correct it and, and, and prove himself. So that, I think that's his main motivation is, is trying to reforge that relationship with her. Um, let me let me interject real quick. Uh, yeah. He wants to make amends for, for past sins and, and problems in order yeah. to do what? Once he once he does that, I've I, I've I've made all my my peace with all the people. Now what? He's going to die? I or possibly or um, that's a good question. Or reconnect with her and kind of live happily ever after. I think is what's going on in his mind. Um, okay. He's sort of like the, the he's had a hard life, and so he's looking for this sort of potential happy ending for himself. I think. Mm, okay. I think. I'm not sure. Nope, that's cool. And and I, I think you might find a variety of possibilities yeah. as we explore deeper. But uh, mm. uh, but that gives us a foundation to build on. Awesome. Very cool. cool. Cerise, any other top-level questions you wanted to ask? No, not right now. I'm okay. chewing on that as that motivation. Okay. okay. Excellent. Yeah. Marie, what about you? First impressions and questions of clarification. Uh, first impression, there's a lot here. So uh, good job in the detailing. Definitely a lot going on, so it definitely it feels like high fantasy, which is great. I did have a couple of little questions. The biggest one, if you mm-hmm. will, is how prevalent, like you say it's a high fantasy work. How prevalent is magic in this world? Because from your introduction, it feels like magic is kind of there. It's a part of a lot of things. But then you tell us that Maverin doesn't believe in magic. Right. Yeah. There's not a ton of magic. It's something that's only a few people practice. And so I, I struggled with labeling this a high fantasy novel. I almost called it low fantasy, but it, it could be the high fantasy doesn't fit because yeah, like, like magic is rare enough that most people don't understand it, even if they believe that it exists. Okay. But he's been friends for a long time with a priest, right? I very loosely. They've only seen each other like a handful of times. Okay, and it's never like and have they? Yeah, are, he's never seen anything magical come up. It's just you know the priest checks in and, and then leaves. Now, is there so you're making that part of kind of part of the the story development then that Maverin has to be convinced that magic exists or come to that yeah. realization? So, is there any purpose? Like, why does Maverin not believe in magic? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think because he hasn't seen it. Um, like in his travels, he's never actually come across anything that that he that is a hundred percent provable as you know, magic coming from the gods. Anything that he's seen okay. could be discounted in his mind. 
um, he definitely functions as a bit of a skeptic. Okay, and how, do, how does that serve the story in any purpose? Is there an arc to that belief system? I positive. I think it ties into a, kind of a greater understanding of the world. I think it, it's more that disbelief for him is, is more to put him in contrast to Ayasu and to kind of feed their relationship and their um, banter and conflict as they go through. So that's cool. the purpose. Is, yeah, is more there to feed um, Ayasu in his crisis of faith and, and how that goes on. Okay, cool. I, that's why I was curious to see what the. Uh, the solid argument was behind that and we'll probably we might discuss that more i have one more question and that's kind of a a turning point cerise asked you about your main character and i have questions about lord breck and also about kadara that was that her name yeah. okay um kadara so they they seem kind of like the um you know, the, the guy in, in Lord of the Rings who's uh, possessed the horse people and he's possessed and then... Theoden. Theoden, yeah, yeah, thank you. I knew somebody would know on this podcast. <laughs> so, it, it was kind of like the, this feeling of this, you know, this possessed person in power, which doesn't really have agency of their own. They just kind of become a blanket reason for the, the hero to come against them, even though they have no necessary will of this home. Now, does Lord Breck have any will? Is he completely possessed? Like, wh- what's his deal there? I think in, in his mind, and I will freely admit that he's one of the things that I haven't developed quite as much yet, but I think in, in his mind, what he's doing, or he's convinced himself that what he's doing is to protect his city. So he's kind of being misled by this this spawn that's controlling him. But um, no, I, he definitely needs more agency. And so any ideas there would be sweet. Because again, I, I, there isn't as much there as I think there should be. Cool, because the, the whole silver thing kind of threw me out a little bit because I was there like, why isn't there anarchy happening if you've got a weak leader combined or someone that could be perceived as weak combined with they're just going to go grab everyone's silver? No, that's right. His, his public perception is that he's a strong leader. Like he, he was okay. uh, elected because people respect him. And so he's just on the cusp of that possibly shifting um, if he makes one too many decisions that people don't agree with. But right now, he's still like widely positively regarded. Cool. Okay. Perfect. That uh, those were my questions. Thank you. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. I. I. There. There is a, a lot of rich, tasty world building going on here, Brandon, and that, of course, makes me lick my chops. Um, I have. I have one question before I go any deeper into that. During the Western War, the Hidden released the spawn onto humanity. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, as a test. Uh, what I kind of what I've developed is that. Um, this particular aspect is, is all about logic and, and natural order. And, and so eventually this aspect decides that humanity has reached a certain point and, and become so prevalent in the world that logically it needs to be tested to prove that it deserves to exist. And so it creates the spawn as sort of a counterbalance to humanity. And if humanity wins, they deserve to stick around. If they lose, then the spawn get to stick around. And it's, that, that's the logical argument that the hidden has uh, come up with. And, 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 and in the Western War, humanity won. They did, yeah. Okay, but there's still spawn around. That is true. That is that's possibly a hole there. Now that I think about it. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Here's here's the thing, Brandon. Your well, tagline totally hooked me. A, okay. A, a wizard who doesn't believe in magic, a priest who doesn't believe in gods, and a warrior who doesn't believe in war. Wow, that's mm-hmm. fabulous. But mm-hmm. as as Marie pointed out, this is a world of magic. So right. having Maverin not believe in magic makes him look like a moron. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, and if we're billing this as, as, you know, other than a secondary world, if this is, you know, if this is high fantasy and there's magic, then from mm-hmm. page one, everybody knows that Maverin is wrong <laughs> and he's a moron. Right, okay. So, so either we need to do away with magic altogether and have it, you know, have it be this X-Files revelation of holy crap magic is real holy moly or we need to find a different way for or a different reason maybe for maverin to be distrustful of magic yeah and even if you had the western war much further into the past because five years ago for me it makes it hard to believe that there would be such a disbelief already at that point but long part time ago in the past right then okay things get lost but yeah yeah Ayasu you know during the war you know if if we pushed it back and Ayasu is actually fighting in the war and has battlefield magic that works (laughs) having some guy say uh dude magic doesn't work it's like no five years ago I was on the field of battle (laughs) casting magic it works, and and you you. I think we've beaten this horse to death. So, um, okay. 
okay, so you've got magic and you've got God. It's possible you could believe in one or the other, one but not the other. So maybe that's the tension. But you said he doesn't, I mean, Maverick doesn't believe in magic, but maybe he believes in God and there's some logic behind that. I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, the way it works, I agree. There, there are too many there are too many crevices yeah. there to fall and, into. And, and let's explore that. I, I do want to dig into that more because I think I think this I think you've created, Brandon, a structure, a world, a cosmology that works. We just need to find a way for everything to slot in nicely so that it connects and, and supports itself. Because right now it kind of doesn't. Um, okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to echo uh, Marie's sentiment. I think Lord Breck needs to be totally in possession of his faculties uh, uh, and be you know, working the... Uh, he knows that the, the spawn are still out there and the best way to fight an enemy is to know that enemy or fight fire with fire and and Lord Breck is going to use the spawn's power, maybe some sort of, of I don't know, an extermination spell that if I have the DNA of one spawn, I can destroy all? Uh, I don't know. And maybe, you know, he thinks he's using the butcher when in point of fact it's not. And and something along those lines. But I, I, I'm, I'm with Marie. I want to have my antagonists fully cogent and also exactly. making really good arguments that made me go, ooh, you know, you're right. You're right. <laughs> the other possibility is that he could be forming some sort of alliance with the spawn. Although exactly. if they lost, what does the spawn have that he would want? Ooh, maybe oh. Lord Breck <laughs> was a priest of the hidden. Could be, and, oh. and and he was, you know, he was, you know, he's aware of why the hidden released the spawn. He knows the purpose, you know. Maybe, uh, I don't know. I'm just gonna put that out what there, if, see where that goes. What if Lord Breck? What if we've got this sort of magic, or we've got the magic alliance with the God alliance of the hidden? Because the hidden are part of this six part construct of God, right? Yeah. So what if we've got the match, the alliance between some sort of dark magic and this God hidden alliance thing going on, and that would make the spawn more powerful? Because if they were originally defeated, they look weak. But if you have, if Lord Breck thinks he's got something new to bring to this spawn alliance, then maybe that's the reason he's trying to collect the silver. I like it. Oh, okay. But I, yeah. Marie's the Marie's problem about. You know, if somebody comes to my house and it's like, hey, can I take all your <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not going down. The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. The answer is no. Yeah. So either he needs to be, which gets back to Dave's question of, is Lord Breck loved? Like, it, does he have the kind of control over his people that would make him turn that over? Because they believe in his mission, even though his mission is actually to annihilate them and, like, become the king of the spawn or whatever. You know, I don't know. Yeah. But, like, that tension, I think, is missing. And then that makes all of it sort of more okay. juicier. The, the, it, and that leads to a larger question that I had. The the mm -hmm. idea of uh, Amandul and the six aspects is inspired i like that because yeah. it's it's not just a pantheon it's not it's a single unified god that ex expresses itself in six unique voices and that's yeah. very that's a cool combination of monotheism and polytheism yeah i um, like that a lot i do too. too so my question is what are the other five aspects doing yep. while this one aspect is taking all the narrative weight I'm wondering if we need to explore, do we need six aspects? Uh, what is the purpose of the six aspects? Or is there, a, a, actually, let me just lead with that. What is the purpose of the six aspects for you narratively, Brandon? Um, narratively, the, I want to have multiple aspects, um, you know, for kind of a rich flavor of, of different sides to this, uh, this god. Um, I am not committed to having six for sure, and I will freely admit that I do not have all six decided upon for sure. Okay. <laughs> if, if there are six, I, I then, just picked six because it seems like a like a, a nice, like not too big number. But I'm I've reached a point where I'm like, I don't know if I have six. <laughs> oh, we, I'm perfectly happy cutting it down. <laughs> we can totally come up with six. I I just I, I question if if there if it's mentioned that there's six, then there need to be six in the story, and if not, then there needs to be a reason why there aren't. 
The other suggestion I have, uh, uh, Brandon, is we need Maverin and Ayasu to be buddies. I, I think I think having these f- people that barely know each other going on adventures together, uh, mm. I, I think the opportunity for friendship uh, uh, and the revelations of and frictions that deep mm. abiding friends have might lead to some more intriguing story and character evolutions for all of them. Yeah, I I like the idea too that when we're picturing ourselves going on adventures, we picture ourselves doing it with our friends generally. So I like that. that, I like that feel. It's a good idea. So just putting that on the table as well. Okay. Other thoughts? Yeah, but we can get into that later. Cerise, where do you want to dig in first as far as the brainstorming goes? Not that we haven't started brainstorming already, (laughs) (laughs) but you you can take us down the next road. What road do you want to go down with this? I go back to Maverick. Yeah. What is his backstory? Why do I give him that? (laughs) He's got, he wants to make amends so that he can try to, he feels like he screwed up his whole life. Why has he screwed up all his life? What has been his character flaw? Is he a selfish man? Is he a, um, a greedy man? Is it, it, why, why has he screwed up most of his life so that now he's at a point where he has, and before before Dave's comment, he has no friends. He has a girl that he left and kind of hates him, but still kept his silver. But we'll talk about that because maybe she doesn't. And that's a nice internal sort of thing to have. Um, so I, I, I want to start with our main character because he's the one we're following and he's the one we have to care about. And I'll, and I'll add one last one other question on top of that. What inciting incident led him to does want to actually take action and make amends? Did something yeah. happen that that? woke him up from the stupor that he's allowed himself to fall into because because that impulse is is noble but it's rarely something that kind of creeps up on you it's there's something that happens that turns your turns your dime brandon have you got it given any thought to that uh in terms of his his backstory uh, yeah he's very much a character who is who's isolated like he's a performer he's an entertainer he puts on that mask of you know, being like a, a person of the people and, and getting along with people. But when the show is done, he's just kind of by himself. Um, and so in terms of an inciting incident, is for me, the inciting incident of, of you know, finally biting the bullet and, and going to track down uh, Diary is, um, is what happens in the beginning when he gives away that, that coin and seeing what happens to that, um, that guardian. To the girl. Um, yeah, to the girl. And, and seeing that and thinking to himself, okay, you know, I, I, I don't like, he has this instinctual, like sudden image of, you know, this happening to diary. And he's like, you know, I, I don't want that to happen. And there's such a surge of feeling that he, he feels compelled to go and, and find her is sort of what I was thinking as an inciting incident. I'm not sure if that okay. works, but that, I, that's what I, okay. That actually invokes another thing that I think we need to address. These coins of so, silver. Yep. Where do they come from and why does he have them? Uh, they were a gift to him. Um, when he was, uh, late teens, early twenties, um, kind of a traveling performer came to town and, and uh, you know, gifted them to him. Um, and he's been carrying them around ever since. And it was this individual that inspired him to become a performer himself. Yeah, but, but, okay, but, wait. but these are coins that have demons in them. Where do they come yeah. from? Um, that is an excellent question. Okay. And that guy who gave them to him is not a traveling magician. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> that guy is somebody else. Okay. For him to have given them to, to Maverick. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there needs to be a reason, uh, uh, you know, there, and I think I think we can tie, start tying this together. Uh, uh, yep. The reason for Maverin's skepticism, the reason why that guy gave him those coins uh, uh, and and um, there, there, there's a structure, there's a there's a there's an overlying narrative that- form that's taking form there. I just can't see it all. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm starting to see it as well that it, it becomes kind of tied together there where you have if he's skeptic about it and then he's given the coins maybe because his skepticism doesn't give the coins power and he doesn't you know when he gives one away to the little girl and she believes in these things or her keeper believes in these things and it activates them in a way that it wouldn't with him or something like that nice like because i think i agree with cerise that the person who gave him the coins knew what he was doing like he knew what the coins were he believed in them and so he knew that he could release the hidden or the spawn that were inside them if he crossed a certain threshold of whatever and he gave them to maverin for for safekeeping in a way because he, he totally did not believe in magic for insert good reason 
So almost like it's almost like you know I'm locking the the one ring in the Shire where no one thinks exactly. Magic, yeah. you know? interesting. Cerise, where were you going with that? Did you have other thoughts along those lines? Yeah, because see, there's this gets to again sort of Maverin who he is. There's a reason that he's vulnerable to this guy that gives him the court, the coins. There's a reason his skepticism is based on something. And just sort of what I'm getting is that I, I don't understand what that basis is. Okay. Um, and his life, like why he, like I said, how, why he screwed up his life, which makes okay. him skeptical. I mean, you know, a screwed up, living a screwed up life will make you very skeptical. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know why he made those choices. Okay, and then, and the more we understand that, when we under when he whether you're going to do it through a flashback or whether we actually see it when he gets those coins we're going to see how our anti-hero hero then like how his life starts clicking into place to bring him to this point of making amends for what and i think for me it, it love is extremely important but ultimately you know on a personal level i want i want to see him want to become a better person okay yeah. not just but with you know, the one person who could stand him, you mm-hmm. know, kind of. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. I am very interested in this magic Amandul connection and manipulation. Mm-hmm. I'm just putting that out there because I think <laughs> that's powerful. It, it makes your, it could make your skepticism work. If I'm really clear on what the distinction is between the two, because the Amandul and his six or her six aspects could be about logic. It could be, a logical fact-based construct of, of God, okay, which makes magic not necessary. Um, but then you have Ooh. this magic, Ooh. and maybe that I don't, honey, I don't know. No, no, <laughs> you're onto something there. <laughs> you're onto something there. I like that. Yeah, the the idea that the God somehow grounds reality, so there is no need for magic. For mag- and yet you have this magic, but maybe that's serving. And maybe see the hidden or what? It's interesting. It's complicated, but it's interesting. The hidden could be like the rogue aspect. I don't know. I mean, is the hidden connected to the magic, or is there some whole other reality? I it's, don't know. The hidden is the one. It's it's the release mechanism for the equation that constantly builds this epic error, and the hidden needs to release the spawn from time to time because otherwise magic comes back into the world, and the god can't lock everything down like it's supposed to. Yeah. And so is it is it that you know like like the logical equation, the non-existence of magic, is that like like humanity believes that 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 logical equation and that lack of magic is perfect, and in reality, it's not. Is that kind of where you're going with this? Kind of. Like, like, like there's a difference between what, what people believe and, and what is actually going on between these six aspects. Right, exactly. That that the okay. God is actually uh, incomplete in that regard. And mm-hmm. uh, because it's incomplete, the worship of humanity introduces uh, a pressure upon it that must be released. It, it's, it's, it's the old, uh, you can't control creativity uh, uh, yeah, right. modality. That, that's really cool. That has potential. Yeah. Marie, what about you? Where's, where's your head at right now? I like that. I love the idea of the uh, the balancing of the magic out because that has a lot of threads that would make sense and I think could work. Now, the one thing I'm, I'm wondering about with Maverin is, and we've kind of toyed around the idea right now, it's it's his motivation around all of it. Okay. Um, and, and we've we've played around with the idea a little bit, like his skepticism, his... Is he impacted at all by having the coins with him, or do they have absolutely no impact on him? Is there something happening in the background that even he's not aware of? Mm, okay. How about how about this? And and this is, like I say, I keep going back to the thing that excited me about the the tagline, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Iasu and and Diari. You know, I, I like the idea of of basically all of these people taking these noble, lofty, or spiritual themes like gods, magic, and war for a warrior, you know, the, the, the martial strength, and denying it in favor of something else, in favor of security, in favor of it's just easier to distract myself with community works rather than focusing on the spirituality of things. It's, I've, I've learned how to kill people so I never have to kill them again. There's all these lovely paradoxes in here. 
And I think that speaks towards what we're exploring with Amandul in the six aspects of God is that there is a paradox in there, in humanity. There's a splinter in the way humanity seeks, often seeks an easier path or a lower energy form or the state of inertia where we don't actually want to do what we really should be doing because that's hard. I'm, I'm right. So, you know, having Diari become a politician, having Iyasu uh, become more interested in, you know, social change than the revelations of the God. I'd, I'd like to propose that Mar- Maverin and Iyasu know each other because they went to church together. They studied Ooh. in the church together and Maverin found something. He found a heretical text that talks about the magic and so on. Um, the, the note that I wanted to bring out earlier was the notion back in the Western War, which I think, yeah, pushing that back a little bit into ancient history. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, World War II level ancient history, okay. you know, 60, 70 years. Uh, maybe okay. nobody's alive that remembers it. Um, is that we won, but we didn't win completely. And that whatever victory we achieved, some of the spawn leaked out. And you've got two choices at that point. Either you gather up the spawn and you shove them into the drain uh, with all the rest, or you use those spawn to break the temporary seal that humanity put around the hidden uh, and and fully reveal the, the, the intent or the magic that the hidden was trying to unleash, which may be a good thing. You know, you see this, it, they are dark magic. They, they were going to kill us all. We had to stop them. Well, no, maybe they weren't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe this is a higher level of balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe Lord Breck is right. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, crap. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or and and the spawn are meant to be a mirror, and without them, we can't see our flaws. You God, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. certainly different. What do you it think, is. Brandon? Oh, I love that. <laughs> that's brilliant. And and now now <laughs> with with Ma- Maverin's skepticism is motivated because he read the heretical text. He knows the truth, yeah. and he's pissed. Right. And and you know he you know maybe maybe he sees. Uh, 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 it, you know when that coin uh, uh, he gives the coin away because eh, screw it it's it's you know yes these coins had sentimental value but I'm reaching the end of my game here I don't care here kid take it oh jeez demon <laughs> ah, death blood oh my god and and now he sees the truth of what he read in that heretical text that's the galvanizing moment um having iasu come back you know making them old schoolhood chums and have that heretical text be the thing that drove a wedge between them ooh yeah yeah and and maybe you know and throw diari in there as well you know let we, let's let's go all twilight on this stuff and yeah. and and have a Hold love on. triangle <laughs> Uh, uh, and and have Maverin have pushed both of them away. You know, Diari was a holy warrior. Iyasu was a priest. Ma- Maverin was, you know, maybe a lay person or whatever, a scholar. Uh, uh, and, you know, this event, and see, that creates such a cool narrative structure because now that's the revelation that you can guide the reader to at the end of Act 2. What the heck drove a wedge between these three friends? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Dude. Dude. Yeah, dude, well done. Wow. <laughs> I like that a lot. See, and this is what I love about brainstorming because I could not have put that together if it hadn't been for all four of us being on the Skype line at the same right. time. That was alchemy. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's magic. 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 Yeah. Oh, man. Brandon, what do you think? We're, we're, uh, we, we were running out of time, but we got time for a little bit more exploring. What do you want to dig into? Oh, man. I... Uh, my mind's whirling right now with everything you just discussed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so just uh, just want to make sure that I everything you just outlined that I understand it completely. So Maverin reads this heretical text, so he knows something, or he thought he knew something that nobody else knew, and discounted it, and then just and then the inciting incident is, is he discovers that text was right all along. Is that what you're? Or, or he discovers it and and is dis and is dismissed. Uh, uh, is oh, okay. you know you're you're wrong. Oh, wow. This is heresy. 
he maybe he's censored. What do you okay. guys think? I have a I have an idea. Yeah. So they're all Ayasu, yes, and may yeah. I bring close enough. Um, they're studying together. They he comes across something where they diverge in their understandings of things, and that divergence creates a rift. Right. Maverin has an interpretation of what that text is that fuels his skepticism, his whatever. He gives the coin, and when he sees what happens, he realizes his interpretation of it is wrong, mm. and that it's much mm. worse and much different than he thought it was. And mm. in fact, that brings him back to then need to make amends with Iosu, go protect Kidara, like he realizes he truly effed up. Oh. Yeah. I like and it. It's not just that he, him and his friend disagreed, but he was wrong. And that yeah. wrong cost somebody their life. Yeah. And it cost him his friendships. It cost him this isolation. Yeah, yeah. Like, like his whole life has spun because of that mistake. Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. So he has to go in a completely different direction from how he ever went before. And that's a wonderful narrative arc because, you know, maybe he came under pressure from the church elders uh, and he caved or whatever. If he had shown courage back then and and stood up for it, it could have been a different thing. But he let it go. He said, no, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then got bitter about it. There's where the skepticism comes in. And then the revolution of the kid. Yeah. Marie, what do you think? I like it. I really like it. I think like I think your starting point is still the right one. Like I think giving the coin away and then he comes to these realizations. Like I think that's a good inciting incident in the story itself. Because yeah. I'm interested in in safety. I'm interested in yeah. I'm interested in seeing what will happen. Why was giving that coin away so bad? Why is he so angry at himself? What had he been wrong about? What what's going to happen to the kid or whatever? Right. I, I still feel that's a good propeller and then we get this this rich richness of story behind it as he meets his friend again as he has to confront his guilt is everything like i i think it's really rich i do too friends the clock is definitely ticking down let me take us into that final stage uh uh, it always takes a little while for the brainstorming literary gold to bubble up uh but let's let's go into that final segment where we go once more around the table and offer brandon some last minute thoughts or some ideas that we didn't get to put out there but basically fill fill his pockets with literary gold so he can go and write this bad boy uh cerise we will start with you ma'am what are your final suggestions and thoughts for brandon Brandon, go slow. You've Mm. got a lot going on here. Take your time. I think it's a wonderful world that you're working in and some really challenging ideas. Um, Just take your time with them and that's okay. Yep, definitely. I I couldn't agree more. Marie, what about you? Yeah, I love it. Um, Remember your details. Remember where you're situating us in the story because you have so much, such a thrust from backstory events, not just from his life, but from the Western War, wherever you situated in history and all that, that remember that to keep us in the moment of the scene and that any backstory you give us makes sense for that moment. Don't worry about giving us the info dumps. I think that the the characters will be strong enough that will follow through and then the information can be revealed as seems natural for the story. So it it, uh, echoes a little bit um, the same advice of going slow is remember the moment. Remember where we are in the story. Yes, very much so. Mm-hmm. And why? Definitely. Yeah. Well, and and my advice is actually going to layer on top of that is that you've got this, you've got these these patterns of history, you've got these patterns of spirituality, and then both of those patterns are being grounded in the present moment by these four characters. I'll say Maverin, Yasu, Diari, and Lord Breck. Uh, uh, you know, bring him into the equation as well in some way, shape, or form. Uh, uh, And we get this wonderful, then we get this mystery of what happened to the friends that that drove the wedge between them. What happened during the Western War and the spawn and what, where are we going to go from there? And, And those questions of history and and interaction and spirituality you know, having those multiple reflections i think makes this a very strong story so being aware of those patterns and how these characters and the events they're going through can serve to illuminate what that history was what that means in the context of the human experience and and where we go from there so wow holy crap 
<laughs> awesome stuff. Brandon, here's the deal, man. Back in the day, we would we would promise to knight you uh, uh, if you if you published this story. But but those days are gone. Uh, uh, instead, we're going to help you write the darn thing from the get go. Every guest writer who, who survives the brainstorm, <laughs> which you have done in flying colors and every guest host who participates in said brainstorm uh, will be gifted with a free one year storyteller subscription to Archivos to help you document and refine and explore and illuminate those narrative patterns between your characters and the places and the events of your world so that's the deal Brandon you down with that? Oh, that's wicked. Thanks, man. <laughs> Absolutely. And and we're getting, uh, by the time this thing airs, I think we'll actually have coupon codes out there. Uh, so I can send you a coupon code <laughs> and you can get your subscription. <laughs> Woo! Timing. Yay. Timing is everything. So, and Cerise, that extends to you as well. You will be getting a free uh, one-year subscription to Archivos. You can play in that bad boy as well. Thank you so much. That's awesome. incredible. It's Thank you. Gifts and showers. It's like a Hobbit birthday party, right? It's just, here's all the presents. <laughs> Brandon, dude, that was awesome. That was an intriguing story and an excellent brainstorm. Dude, thank you so much for, for bringing that and being willing to share it with us. We appreciate it, man. Oh, no worries. And thank you for, for all the brainstorming and the ideas and everything that you threw at me. That was awesome. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing process. It is alchemy. It is magic. Uh, Cerise Rennie Murphy, wow. Uh, uh, lady, you are why we bring established veteran authors onto the, the Archivos Podcast Network. That was fabulous. Thank you for your experience, your insights, and your, your utter passion and commitment to the process, ma'am. That was awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Brandon, I'm honored to have been a part of this discussion. Marie, Dave, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's very humbling. Oh, it's 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 we are in service to the story, to the story gods. We are we are like the priests of the story gods. Marie Billadeau, my co-host, thank you so much. It is always a delight uh to know that you're gonna be sitting here beside me as we as we brave once again the brainstorming arena. Uh, uh you have acquitted yourself with with rigor and style as always. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. I had a great time as always. Yep. Yep. And it is. It's fun. It, I don't know how it works. It's a mystery. Uh, <laughs> but it did once again. And as long as we're doling out the gratitude, friends, thank you for hitting that play button. Without you guys, we're just four people on a Skype line talking story, which is awesome. But now that you hit that play button, the contagion has spread. <laughs> the spark has struck. You are now in fuego with creative mojo that you didn't have an hour ago. So thank you so much for that. If you're digging it, if you're feeling the love, then please spread the word. Let folks know about the Archivos Podcast Network and the awesomeness that is unfolding here. Not enough people know about this stuff. We need to fix that and you can help. Uh, so, you know, I actually wore shorts today because it always gets hotter <laughs> in the studio every time I do this. And it didn't help. It's still 10 degrees hotter. I need a, I, I need a drink. Uh, but before I do, I will tell you, friends, that uh, uh, like a phoenix from the ashes in two weeks, we're going to come back. We're going to have another fabulous guest host pouring wisdom in our ears, another courageous guest writer throwing down with some awesome brainstorming stories, more Archivos Podcast Network fabulosity to be had. But that's two weeks. That's like 14 days. That's a long darn time. Marie. What do you got? Is there anything that our listeners can do to make those 14 days fly by? I think so. Let's talk a little bit about discipline this time. Oh, and let's okay. say this the big word. The big D word. Got it. Okay. word for authors. Let's let's talk about for the next 14 days. Pick five days out of the week where you're going to write 300 words for five of those days and then make a plan and then stick with it. That's all I'm asking for That's reasonable. Days. That's it reasonable. seems reasonable, right? I rarely ask for reasonable. <laughs> I know. It's I very I'm... unlike you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying something different. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Awesome. So five days, 300 words a day. You pick them, you write them. Exactly. I like it. I like it, guys. You can do that. I know you can. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, that you find what you're looking for. So if you look for that top shelf blue label goodness, if you look for that missing Christmas present at the back of the tree, if you look for these wonders in the world, dear friends, I promise you, you will find them. We'll be back in just 14 days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. 
and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Archivos Brainstorms is copyright 2017 by WonderThing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash archivospodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.